0: Folks, every Tuesday in the 11 o'clock hour, we talk to folks that are difference makers in our community that are participating and contributing to and with uh, the NOLA coalition that's been established. It's a cooperative endeavor amongst a lot of groups, business groups, community groups, uh, NGOs, non-governmental organizations, not-for-profits that are out there making a difference and backfilling Uh, to the city because the city and other government agencies just don't have the resources necessary to do this. And when I say difference makers, I mean that in the truest sense of the word. They're, They're impacting young kids' lives, young adults' lives, and adults' lives in many, many different ways that make our community a better place to live, work, and raise a family. And today's no different. We're visiting with Lowry Cruz, who is the founder and CEO of the 18th Ward, and Janisha Neely, who's the executive director of the 18th Ward. Folks, welcome to the show. Hey, Noel.
1: Thanks for having us. Hi.
0: Thank you for having us on. All righty. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Lowry, let's start with you. If you tell us a little bit about the mission of the 18th Ward.
2: So I started the 18th Ward in 2019, just five years ago, with the idea that if we could bring kids and families together from across New Orleans, we could start building a stronger, more cohesive, more connected community. And the way we do that is through sports. Sports gets people in the door, in the gym, onto the field. But what really keeps our community going are the relationships that are built through sports. So families building relationships on the sidelines, kids building relationships on teams. And so what we've built is this representative community from 22 different zip codes, um, from over 90 different schools, um, kids um, who speak different languages and have different income levels. And so what we're trying to do is create more of those opportunities. We created over 4,000 last year, um, but we're still not even scratching the surface of what's possible. There's a lot of kids out there that want to play. There's a lot of families that want to find a safe, welcoming um, and supportive community to be a part of. And so we're just trying to work with other organizations to, to build something even bigger and stronger.
0: You know, uh, Uh, To both Lowry and Janisha, when I was growing up in the 60s, you could hardly find a kid that was not engaged in some activity at the local playground, right? I mean, um, we didn't do sports in as specialized ways that we're doing it now. It's just kind of everybody went out there, signed up for a team, and and had fun. And things have changed a little bit. I was looking at some of the stats that you all quoted on your website, and I was – really shocked by how few kids are actually participating in, in any of these types of activities
2: yeah the statistics are, are not great um, which is why we sort of designed a different system because what what exists and, and what people are most accustomed to um, the things that are available aren't producing great results so if we want to see better um, physical health results if we want to see better social emotional, well-being results. We we, we read articles and headlines about a mental health crisis or about a crime wave or about physical determinants of health. All those things can be solved. Um, And we're not the only ones trying to solve them. We're just the ones who are going to use sports um, so that our kids and families are healthier, um, so that they have more job opportunities, so that um, they're more socially emotionally equipped to deal with the challenges that life is going to throw at us and yeah the statistics are not good and we we pour over the data to say what's working and what's not working and how can we be better how can we be more adaptive um, rather than just being another sports league or um, this is something different it's it's a sports is is sort of what we're using but it's it's about more than that Newell.
0: Oh, absolutely, and, and Janice, uh, Janisha, you can uh, backfill on that for sure because sports played a very important role in your life from what I understand, uh, a basketball player uh, through, the, I guess, the playground system, into school, into high school, into college, and then on to a professional basketball career.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. I played basketball for a very long time and at a high level, and I was fortunate to have that opportunity. And so for us, um, we really are trying to to create opportunities for others um, similar to what I had. Um, I had a ton of really great female coaches um, throughout my basketball, throughout my sports career. Um, And I learned later on more recently that that isn't the case for a lot of girls, let alone a lot of boys. And so um, we also offer a She's Got Game initiative, which is for girls – Um, To really be able to try out different sports, do it in a positive environment, um, and in an environment that allows for friendship building, relationship growth. Um, And so, yeah, it's it's really great that I I had the experiences that I had. And our goal is to create more of those opportunities for the kids in our communities.
0: Janesha, how important, you you mentioned right away you you were exposed to female coaches, and so how important was it, you know, seeing that that leadership style of each individual female coach, and I'm sure they all came to you from different walks of life, different ways, and exhibited different skill sets.
1: Um, It was very important. I think I didn't realize how important it was at the time. Um, I was allowed to grow in my leadership and was pushed and encouraged to do so. Um, and that came somewhat easy to me because I saw other women doing it. I saw women who looked like me, women who didn't look like me, um, but who were all pushing forward to put us as kids in the best situation. Yes. On the court, on the field, but also just in the best life situation. So, um, I think it's really important that athletes have, um, you know, reflective leadership in, in their presence, in their community. Um, and it is, it's a focus of ours. We want our kids and families to feel welcome. Um, and we want to create a community that um, is for everyone to play, regardless of skill level, um, regardless of where you're from. Um, we want to create a space for, for our kids to play.
2: And, and, you know, the, the, the data shows us that over 9%, I think like 94% of female CEOs played sports growing up. And so if yeah. we think about that um, as an indicator of gender equity, of economic mobility, of representation and leadership, you know, that begs the question, why aren't more girls in sport um, if we know that, that, that sport has the potential um, to to give them the confidence Um, And to give them the sort of communication skills and influencing skills that are going to be important later in life, we should be advocating for more girls in sport, which is what we're doing. We created about 4,000 opportunities for kids um, across the gender spectrum over the last five years. But we're asking ourselves now, what if the next 4,000 kids that we have on courts and fields, what if those are all girls over the next five years? How would that change our community? How would that change outcomes for our girls later in life? So we've got some, we're five years old, but we've got some pretty, pretty ambitious goals for the next five years.
0: And y'all have had some incredible successes. And I gotta imagine, um, you know, I've interacted with a, a lot of female athletes. I was a swimmer, swam competitively for a lot of years. And I recognize right away an independence that was developed. Um, especially with with the young young ladies, and this notion of taking ownership of me and that that I have in, am, am in complete control of me. and I, and I'm wondering, Janisha, how you would react to that statement.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I would say sports is a, a confidence builder. like over everything else, sports is a confidence builder. Um, you know, it's kind of up to you to work as hard as you can. Um, in order to succeed, whatever your bigger goals are. So I, I think that, you know, what you said is accurate. I can see that reflected very well in in my sports career and um, very well in the kids that we work with. Um, we offer a few different pipelines to, to play. Um, we offer a rec pipeline where, kids are allowed to come and play whatever sport and do it so just for fun. And then we also offer a competitive pipeline where the kids who do want to play at a higher level have those opportunities. But both of those pipelines are essentially confidence builders. It it serves as a purpose for um, you know these kids to get the physical activity but to also just believe in themselves in whatever moment. So yeah, I, I think sports has you know, a, a really big power. Um, definitely a great power for girls, but we're a confidence, build, confidence builder for, for everyone involved.
2: And, and for the last hour before jumping on the radio, know, we were just pouring over um, data on the social emotional growth of our teenage cohort. So our high school students, our college young adults. Um, and where they measure in their social skills, their self-efficacy, how positive is their identity. And so we're, we're using that data to influence our decisions and to, to make smart adjustments to our programs. And because it is, it's way more important. Um, Janicia is an amazing basketball player, even to this day. Um, and there are going to be some girls and boys who have opportunities to play at a high level like she is um, but we're, we're talking about 90% of our athletes are going to need to be successful on a different path. And so our job is to provide the opportunities, provide the, the infrastructure and the pathway um, for them to continue um, on, on a path to success um, that, that may or may not have anything to do with sports.
0: All right, we got to get to a break. We're going to continue this conversation when we return. But first, we're going to jump to Dave Cohen, WWL News Director for Traffic Update. Dave.
2: Yeah, Newell, they have closed the southbound causeway from Mandeville toward Metairie right now because a vehicle is on fire about two miles onto the bridge from the North Shore toward the South Shore. They say that everyone has been uh, out of, gotten out of the vehicle. No one is in danger, but the vehicle is on fire right now on the causeway, so they're not letting any more traffic get on the bridge at this time. You're going to want to take either I-55, U.S. 11, or I-10 from the North Shore to the South shore. They say it may be a little while before they're able to get the vehicle fire out and the vehicle removed again. The causeway is
0: closed from
2: the North Shore to the South Shore,
0: Newell. Thank you, Dave, for that update. We're going to get to a break. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back, folks. We're visiting with our NOLA Coalition partners. We're visiting with Lowry Cruz, founder and CEO of the 18th Ward, and Janisha Neely, executive director of the 18th Ward. And, folks, i got to tell you, when you go to their website, you're going to find that they are involved in programs for everybody. I mean, it, it's absolutely amazing. They have adults coaching kids, kids coaching kids, adult programs, teenage programs, young kid programs, and then early childhood programs. They cover the spectrum. So if there's any interest in sports by coaching, mentoring, playing, they have created an opportunity for you to participate. So, Laria, I would ask you, what is, what is your, your five years in, uh, biggest challenge right now? Biggest challenge right now is meeting the demands
2: of our community. So we have a wait list for all of our programs, and we have offer over 20 different programs. Um, and we really rely on space from partners, whether it's the city of New Orleans, or our schools who have gymnasiums and we just can't get enough time on those fields or in those gyms in order to get as many kids playing that want to. And so I think over the next five years, we have to invest more in infrastructure because our kids deserve a safe place to play. We're not complaining, but our kids are in the dark right now, literally um, at 5:30 on a Tuesday, they're, getting physical fitness classes in a patch of grass in the pitch black dark Um, we need lights for safety Um, we need spaces that don't cost thousands of dollars to play in right now if you you want regular access to soccer fields or baseball fields or gymnasiums it's going to cost your family thousands of dollars a year and we need to make sports more accessible. We need to make physical activity more accessible. So we're, we're battling um, for the next five years to, to really um, build and create and enhance some spaces so that all the kids who want to play have a space, all the coaches who want to work have a job. And so that's probably our biggest challenge right now.
0: Uh, Janisha, uh, um, when we... How about from the perspective of coaches and mentors and others that are involved?
1: Um, I would say being able to offer enough jobs, um, offer enough jobs and then funding for those jobs. So we get, we had over 300 high school and college kids apply for our positions. And so, um, Similar to what Cruz said, meeting that demand, making sure that we are able to employ those kids and making sure that they're able to work in the programs that they're most interested in. So really meeting that demand. Um, That number is going to continue to grow um, as our program grows. So, um, yeah, making sure that we can we can give those jobs to to those young people
2: with with this with the funding and the space, we could easily serve ten thousand youth, create a thousand part-time jobs, and it's feasible to do that over the next couple of years. so we're working pretty tirelessly on fundraising um, we're working tirelessly to make sure our programs are high quality and and we're we're working hard to to keep keep growing
0: Lowry has Nord ever communicated with you guys i mean it seems as though that would be a a natural marriage so to speak
2: yeah um we we started our first formal partnership with nord this fall um and by all measures um was successful in terms of the number of soccer players and the number of jobs we created through soccer programming so larry barabino approached us um, over the summer about bringing soccer to Nord Park. So we're at Norman on the West Bank, Easton and Mid-City, um, and now we have hundreds of soccer players playing at Nord Parks across the city. And I believe we can do more. We, we'd love to have a park in the East where we can bring soccer, um, and we would love to expand on our partnership. So I, I do have to give credit to to Larry for being open to a partnership and trusting us to deliver on our promises and Councilman Morell for, for being a catalyst and, and the mayor's office um, Asia Hallett at at the mayor's office of youth and families has been a huge advocate. Um, So I hope to see that that partnership grows um, in a lot of different ways, even outside of soccer.
0: And this is not a criticism. It's just an observation. There are a number of Nord facilities that are woefully underutilized, right?
2: I would say that any athletic facility right now, whether it is through a private school, a public school, or a city-owned property, I'd say that they're all woefully underutilized.
0: Yeah, I mean, so is huge, huge upside opportunity if you, if folks really want to be a difference maker in creating this collaborative effort with the 18th Ward. I think so. We we were approached by a church in
2: Central City, and they're building a a, a new facility, and and wanted to share their space with us. And so we we're, we're team oriented, and and any partner that's willing um, willing to offer some space, um, we can pack the house uh, on any day of the week, and make sure kids and families have a great experience.
0: Janisha, I'm going to put you on the spot. And- I want you to, if you would mind, share a story with us about just the, an incredible transformation of someone you've encountered in, in these programs that, whose life's just been set on a course that you're very proud of as a result of the efforts of all of the volunteers within the 18th Ward.
1: Yeah, uh, what comes to mind, our very first after-school program, um, it was right after, or I guess during the pandemic. Um, We started an after-school program at KIPP East um, in response to the school having to close early. It was a hybrid learning at the time. Um, And so we created this after-school program so that kids would still have an opportunity to play safely and play safely outside. Um, The majority of our programs, um, we have a focus on uh, getting and recruiting half girls, half girls, or excuse me, half girls, half boys. And so um, there was a a little girl who, um, in the very beginning, was not into it, didn't want to play. She had a twin sister, and she had an older sister. And it was really a team effort for us to convince and really encourage this little girl to, to play with us. And so in the beginning, it was very, very slow. Um, over time, over a lot of, like, obnoxious, encouraging. Um, by the end of the season, 18th Ward was the highlight of her day. And since then, she's been playing with us. And um, I would say her attitude really turned for the, the best and most positive um, note. So she comes to mind. Um, there are other kids who um, have worked very, very hard to go from, like, our rec program to our club program, who we've seen um, be very, very proud of themselves. And then even from the coaching standpoint, um, we've had coaches who have started with us um, freshman year of high school and who we really had to, to talk up so that we could hear their voice and so that they felt confident enough to give directions or encourage a kids and by the end of, let's say, like the spring season, so toward the end of the freshman season, they're leading patients and they're leading programs. So um, there have been quite a few kids. That is truthfully my favorite part, to see the growth in our kids who are playing with us, to see the growth in our coaches. Um, it's been my favorite part to see the growth of our staff and how we've been able to develop. So, yeah, there's there are countless stories of kids who – have grown in confidence, who have grown in skill, and who have grown in in leadership overall through through playing in our programs.
0: You know, you, you spoken like an individual who's been exposed to a number of coaches. When I, I had to stop myself from cracking up laughing because I would say it the same way: obnoxious encouragement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That, that is I, my, that is I, rem- I remember. I remember words. the. I was going to say. I remember the coach walking down the length of the swimming pool, telling me not to breathe so that I would increase my time. I mean, reduce the amount of time it took me to get from one side of the pool to the other. Funny. We
2: talk. We talk a lot to our young coaches. If 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 you can motivate a six and seven year old to finish. A practice session or finish a game with all of their energy, even when it's hot outside, even when they're tired. If you can influence and motivate that young person to to finish strong and be successful, then your influencing and motivating skills are going to transfer into so many different areas of your life um, and really be a key part of of your success.
0: So true, Dylan. If uh, I mean Dylan, no, Lowry. If somebody wants to give. Um, how, how can they go about doing that if they want to donate something to um the 18th there's a, there's
2: a number there's a number of ways on our website um if a company wants to sponsor a program um, and get their logo on some of our jerseys that we offer sponsorships and different ways to recognize our sponsors i think one of the easiest ways is through our monthly giving program and that's accessible on our website, even even five dollars a month um, from a number of folks across the city. Um, just just a little bit goes a long way for our, our budgeting and our planning um, and just the predictability from season to season. And so I would really encourage folks who um, could give any amount that that monthly giving um, is, is a very critical part of our
0: infrastructure. And your website is the 18th Ward, uh, the number 18, thward.org, right? That's correct. And um, they can give the email, they can reach uh, any of you guys at the Eighteenth thward at gmail.com. Absolutely. All righty. Final thoughts, um, Lowry? Um,
2: I I appreciate the opportunity to sort of amplify the many voices in our community because there's a lot of folks in our network who are advocating for more opportunities for their kids and families. And so thank you for for having us on. I appreciate the the NOLA coalition for bringing folks together who have an interest in improving our city. And um, without these partnerships, without so many, different advocates for our kids Um, this would be a lot a lot harder but I do see the challenges that our city faces are very solvable and we're happy to be a part of that solution
0: well thank you so much for joining us today thank both of you for the incredible work that y'all have embarked upon making a difference in our community each and every day and it's this collective of all the difference makers that really separate our community from all others. And and hopefully you will have continued success in the years to come. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All righty, folks. I want to remind everyone about the Causeway closure southbound. There's a car on fire about two miles south of – The entry to the causeway from Mandeville coming to Metairie, so you have to take alternative routes, U.S. Highway 11, I-55, I-10 East, in order to work your way around. They're not exactly sure how much longer it will take in order to clear uh, that travel portion of the causeway in the interim. We'll be right back after the break. Stay with us. The craziness on our university campuses continue as a result of um, the Israel-Hamas war. The American Center for Law and Justice announced that the Rutgers University disbands their Student Bar Association for violating its own rules. They actually targeted Jewish students with vile anti-Semitism. One of the uh, students and members of the Student Bar Association posted terrorist propaganda video uh, that cruelly denied the atrocities that Hamas had committed and accused the state of Israel of staging everything. When they were asked why they would share this video in an SBA chat when it was unrelated to the Student Bar Association or Rutgers, the individual explained that he was just clearing up some information about Palestine and that he was, in fact, spreading the video wildly in other group chats as well. Well, there's no expectation of privacy for matters unrelated to the agenda of the student government, so everybody started looking into this, and um, they uh, were ended up responding to a call from the National Students for Justice in Palestine this Rutgers SGP group planned to host a protest on the campus supporting Hamas. The toolkit was calling for schools to host events and to have uh, a national day of resistance and it explicitly defined that the resistance was to include violence and hold on to your seats murder. The toolkit made clear that the people participating in this day of resistance did not consider themselves merely in solidarity with the fighters on the ground, but rather a part of the Hamas movement and its efforts. Those efforts include the torture, rape, and murder of Jews. Yeah. The National Students for Justice in, in in Palestine, is uh, widely seen to be acting at the behest of or in coordination with Hamas's simultaneously simultaneous call, excuse me, for a global Day of Rage across this country, and this has become violent and dangerous. In fact, that very day at Rutgers, an anonymous poster on Yik Yak wrote a public message saying. Palestinian protesters, there's an Israeli at AEPI, go kill him. That author of that post, thankfully, has been arrested and hopefully will be brought to justice. What we're seeing in the United States, and I talked about this the other day, about these international students that we're bringing in and wondering whether or not there's any vetting as to what their beliefs are, whether they are part of any terrorist organizations, have advocated on behalf of terrorist organizations. They are invited guests to our country to educate themselves. In fact, a report just released Monday, yesterday, found that 1,057,188 international students in U.S. higher education system during the 2022-2023 years, up 12% from the pre- previous year. Not since the late 1970s has the total grown that much in one year. These students bring, they say, global perspectives to campuses. Therein lies some of the problems. As to whether or not we are vetting these individuals appropriately to gain a better understanding as to whether or not they're here on behalf of of terrorist groups. And account for more than 5%, they account, foreign students account for more than 5% of post-secondary enrollment in the United States. There are folks coming from all different countries. I'm not opposed to this. But we need to protect ourselves. These folks coming from countries that don't have the rights that we have here, they could never say what they say here, there. They'd be killed. But they come here and exploit these rights that we keep on them as a result of being our invited guests, contrary to the best interests of this country. they come here trying to perpetuate a truth about their homeland that in many cases is patently and blatantly false. Yes, I can see the upside to international students bringing global perspective to our campuses, but there should be a limit when it runs afoul of what's in the best interest of this com- country I don't believe that nor do I apologize for thinking a little bit more parochially about preserving the best of what this country has to offer again they are an invited guest and that's that's the thing that's interesting now Colleges and universities love this because they bring crucial revenue to their campuses. Because they pay what? Guess what? Full tuition. Full tuition. The federal government estimates that the foreign students, just over a million of them, pump nearly thirty-eight billion a year into our economy. In its overall program, many believe that it provides enduring evidence. Of the global prestige of the U.S. institutions devoted to teaching and research. Well, what's, what's going on on campuses today, right now, is coming into question as to whether or not that's truly, if the juice is worth the squeeze, so to speak. And I would think that many folks would think that the jury is still out on that. Made in the USA is something that these students and families want on their diploma, said Alan Goodman, chief executive of the Institute of International Education. Yeah, they want to exploit the USA for the purposes of the quality of the education that's received here. But in many cases, while they're here, they do nothing but trash the USA. Very interesting. I don't know. I think the jury's still out on whether the juice is worth the squeeze. What do you think? We'll be right back. So a number of folks are reminding me that, such as, Newell International students are a net benefit for our country. I don't deny that. There are always going to be outliers like we are seeing now, the vast majority of good people who end up contributing in a positive manner to the country. There's no doubt. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be more cautious and that there shouldn't be a vetting process so that we can do everything possible to minimize risk. You never eliminate risk. You never eliminate threats. What you do is you minimize them. You minimize them by putting in security protocols and adhering to them day in and day out, unlike what the Biden administration is doing at the southern border. Yes, I've been in law enforcement, as some people have reminded me, for 40 years. I understand the difference between the elimination of a threat and the minimizing of that threat. Minimizing is where the game is played. Yes, we would all love elimination, but we're never going to get there. We haven't eliminated prostitution in fighting it since the days of the Romans. Why would I believe that all of that would happen here?